Once again, it's Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 38. And Jesus went on, and Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come to me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Ask God for help as we come to his word together. Heavenly Father, we're going to hear some amazing and some very challenging words this morning, words that might be new to some of us, but certainly words we all need to hear and remember and take seriously. And so, Lord, we just confess our need for your help. I pray that we'd have help to focus in, to really hear what you're saying. I pray that you'd help me to teach this, Lord, faithfully, clearly, and we pray that this would be just way more than a speech some guy gives, that each one of us would hear your very word, your voice to our minds, our hearts, and that you'd show us who you are and what you call us to, and we respond with trust and obedience. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. In his name we pray, amen. So if you're new with us today, just a reminder for all of us, we're continuing our study through this gospel written by Mark. It's an incredible eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. 
And this morning, we really come to an essential moment in the flow and message of this book. It's a high point. Chapters one to eight have been all about who Jesus is. So you need to ask that question to yourself as we're looking at this. Who, who is Jesus? And Mark has shown us over and over and over again, he's far more than just a good teacher. He's far more than a prophet. He's the Christ. He's God's promised king, foretold of in the scriptures. He's the son of God. So we've seen who he is. But then there's this momentous transition in the book. If chapters one to eight is about who Jesus is, Chapters 9 to the end focus in on what he came to do, what he came to do. And so everything so far in this book has been leading up to this essential moment. Here at the end of chapter 8, the disciples are finally getting it, right? We've been watching. They still don't get it. They don't get it now. They finally understand some of who Jesus is. And yet, even as they finally understand who Jesus is, this moment, this essential moment, is covered in crisis, Did you hear the crisis? We saw it the first way. Peter calls Jesus the Christ, right? So that's that's an amazing thing. He finally understands you're God's promised king, and then immediately, next breath, you're God's king, and you're terribly wrong. You're the Lord, and you're wrong. That's what Peter says. What was it that led Peter to contradict Jesus and himself, by the way, So passionately, there's something here he just cannot abide. He cannot even stand to think about. He rejects it immediately. Second crisis in this moment. Jesus then calls Peter his lead disciple. The first one who comes to realize that he is the Christ, Jesus calls him in that moment the voice of Satan. Strong words. What was it that led Jesus to speak so strongly to Peter? So there's something here that Jesus himself insists is absolutely essential to knowing him, to coming to him, and to living as his. It's essential. And Peter does not like this essential thing very much at all. And so really, this is the issue of our text, Jesus insists on something he says is absolutely essential, and we, the human race, we tend to be deeply opposed. We don't want to hear it. So I guess here it's good for us to pause and remember. I I need to let you know something. Jesus is not a politician. And so that means a lot of things. Number one, you can trust him. (laughs) Um, That's not really my point. My point is, he's not going to adjust his mission or his message based on the polls. Unlike us, he does not derive his sense of self or his meaning or his purpose from what other people think. He's not defined or influenced ultimately by what we think. Now, Jesus is saying, this is what it means to know me and to follow me. This is what it means. So in one sense, this moment is so generous. It's so wonderful. I mean, I want you all to hear this incredible opportunity for all of you. Jesus invites everyone to come and know him and follow him. I mean, I don't, des- I don't deserve that. 
We don't deserve that. It's so generous. Come know me and follow me. I'll be yours. You'll be mine. It's so generous. But he also says very clearly, it's on his terms. It's always on his terms. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Because of who he is. He's the Christ. He's the king. So it's on his terms. And what are his terms? Well, you could, you could honestly sum it up in one term. It's the cross. It's the cross. His suffering. His death. It's his cross. So this morning, I want us to see four essential things that revolve around this one essential truth. The truth is, Jesus said, the son of man must suffer. Did you hear that? I must go to the cross. That's the hub of the wheel here. And the four truths around it we need to see are, number one, Jesus says you can't know Jesus apart from his cross. Jesus says you can't follow him apart from the cross. Jesus says, this might blow your mind a little bit, you can't know your true self apart from the cross. Jesus says you can't have eternal hope apart from the cross. So do you see how epic this is? You can't know him apart from his cross. You can't follow him apart from the cross. You can't have your true self apart from the cross. You can't have eternal hope apart from the cross. So this is really important, isn't it? We get, we get a lot of clarity on what true Christianity is supposed to be from Jesus' words here. And we're gonna see it's both more difficult than we ever realized and we ever wanted it to be. And it's far better than we ever imagined. So here we go. You can't know Jesus apart from the cross. Way back in 1937, there's a theologian named H. Richard Niebuhr. 1937, so that's a while ago, right? And he, he gave this warning to the Christian church at large regarding the trend of what you might call theological liberalism. So he saw this trend in the church at large. And this is, this is what he said. Put the quote up here for you. They desire a God without wrath who brings people without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a what? Without a cross. I can hear it and feel it, can't you? You can hear the voice. Wouldn't it be nice to just kind of think God never really gets angry at anything? A God without wrath. Even if you think that, it's going to be hard to have justice, isn't it? Or, you know, we hear the voice, a God who, without wrath who brings people without sin. Wouldn't, wouldn't you like to believe, and maybe some of you are still trying to cling to this, wouldn't you like to believe that in general you're a good person? Yeah, you're, you're, you're not as bad as some people you've met. And isn't the, the worst person in your neighborhood probably the standard God will use? Don't want to believe I'm a sinner. God without wrath who brings people without sin into a kingdom without judgment? Are there really like ethical lines in the Bible that we're not supposed to cross? Is Jesus really gonna come back? And is each one of us really gonna stand before him for how we lived? Or is it more of like a, I believe in God and we all get a get out of jail free card and you just you know flash it at the pearly gates? 
And if I'm a good person and if God's not really mad and there's not really a standard, then why do we need a cross? Why is Jesus even doing this? Do you hear this, this old guy from, he's, he's dead now. Do you hear his voice from 1937? Warning us that there's this like impulse to not want to look to a real God or not think I'm a sinner or not worry about judgment or, or not even want to believe in a cross. And then we, we look and we realize these ideas are everywhere, aren't they? They're everywhere. Scads of denominations, churches, ministries, they all wear the Christian name and yet sometimes they ignore the cross or they change the message of the cross or they even deny the message of the cross. And we realize it's not a, it's not a new issue. It's happening all throughout history. In fact, it happened the first time Jesus ever told his own disciple about the cross. It goes all the way back to Peter himself, not wanting to hear about the cross. And Peter's very honest with you. I love remembering here, you know, Mark was an associate of the apostle Peter. This is Peter's testimony on this piece of paper. And Peter is telling you, I mean, he's being so humble and he's being so honest. He's telling you, when Jesus told me this, and he tells you, and Jesus said it plainly, and it means boldly, or Jesus was insisting on this. Peter's telling you, when I heard this the first time, I was not even willing to see it. I didn't want to hear it. In fact, Peter admits to you, I rebuked him. And that's a strong word too. It's, it's condemning. It's like, you're being a fool. You're so wrong. Peter says, when Jesus told me that he must suffer, I rebuked him. And so Peter does what is a very common and very ridiculous thing to do. Have you ever done this before? This is what Peter says. Jesus, I believe you're the Christ and you're wrong. We do that sometimes, don't we? Denominations, churches, individuals. Oh, we, I believe in Jesus. He's Lord. And then there's something in his word that goes against the, uh, the desires of our cultural moment. And we want to say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, we know you're Lord and we believe that, but we need to give you some advice. You have it wrong. And, and we know better. Gosh, how outrageous, isn't it? How, how outrageous to say, Jesus, you're the Christ, and you're wrong. But that's what Peter did. And to be honest, he's, he just exposed some of my heart sometimes. In Peter's case, just like his cultural moment, he could not fathom that God's Christ would suffer and go to a cross. Uh, Peter ingested the popular view of the Messiah at the time. At the time, people believed the Messiah would be a political king, who brings victory for God's people against their enemies, blessing to God's people in their circumstances. And that's what he was going to do. And rightly understood, that's true. But it's kind of a selective reading about the, what the Messiah would be and what the Messiah would do. That's, a, that's another common problem, isn't it? There's verses we like. And then there's other verses we read. We don't like those verses, so sometimes it's just better not to read them. By the way, that's one reason we preach right through books of the Bible, so I won't do that to you. We preach right through Mark. One reason is I won't just be like, hey, check out this nice easy verse, and we'll just kind of pretend like the dark, scary verses aren't there. No, we're not going to do that. We're going 
We're going to look at the whole thing. We want to hear everything that's said. So, but in, in Peter's day, they, they, they ingested all this part about the victorious Messiah who's going to just, it's all glory. It's all, it's all majesty, no suffering, no humiliation, no cross. And then you add to that in the first century, the cross. It was just an, un, an unthinkable shame. Uh, a cross means Rome wins. The dictators win. The pagans win. That's what the cross means. The cross kept slaves in their place. It meant public shame. That could never happen to the Messiah, according to Peter, according to his time. And so Peter takes Jesus aside. Isn't that nice of Peter? Jesus, can we talk? You know, you're wrong. And Jesus' Jesus' response is profound. And you see it in two ways. Number one, if you just look up in your Bibles to Mark 8, 29 and 30, Jesus asks them, who do you say that I am? Peter answers him, you're the Christ. And then verse 30, it's surprising. He strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Did anyone notice that? And you're like, wait, did you say not to tell people about you? You add this up, you realize, wait, after the cross and resurrection, what does Jesus say to his disciples? Go tell everyone. Before the cross, don't tell anyone. Don't tell people about me until you understand the cross. That's a humongous idea. According to Jesus, a crossless Messiah is not worth talking about. You hear that, church? A Messiah without the cross is not worth talking about. And yet we look up many popular movements, teachers call themselves Christians, want to talk about Jesus, and they talk about a crossless Messiah who offers a crossless life. I mean, what do people emphasize about Jesus sometimes? He'll improve your life, he'll make you lots of money, or he'll validate your politics, or he'll give you self-esteem, or he'll transform social injustice. You may never hear about sin and what he did on the cross. And here Jesus basically says, if you won't preach me as the Messiah who had to suffer on a cross, please shut your mouth and don't talk about me. According to Jesus, a crossless Christ is not a Christ worth mentioning. If this sounds strong to you, it gets stronger. Peter rebukes Jesus regarding the cross. We heard it. What did Jesus call him? Get behind me, Satan? I mean, we've said some things to other people. Have you ever called them the devil? The voice of the devil. Now, Jesus loves Peter. Peter will come around. But Jesus is saying to Peter, your message here right now is a satanic message. Do you hear this, church? Preaching a Christ without a cross, according to Jesus, is a satanic message. Jesus knows this very well. If you've read the, the Gospels and you've, you've encountered Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, what was the, nation, the nature of Satan's temptation to Jesus? Wasn't it, wasn't it something like this? 
if, if you're really the son of God, in other words, if God's really your father and he loves you, would he really ask you to suffer? We hear that, don't we? If God really loved you, would he really have suffering as a plan for you? That was Satan's temptation to Jesus. And just like Jesus defeated that temptation then, he defeats it now. And he makes it real clear to his disciples. Verse 31, he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer. What's, what's, the, what's in the word must? This is the plan. This is the design. This is the only way. This is God's plan as described in the scriptures. It's the only way for a holy God who hates sin and evil to save sinners and bring them to himself. You can't know Jesus apart from the knowledge of his cross for you. Let me give you one example, just one. There's so many. Look at one example, 2 Corinthians 5.20. It's the apostle Paul writing. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So God is speaking to you. Even, even here, the authority of God's word right now, God's speaking to you. He's making an appeal. We implore you on behalf of Christ. And what's the, what's the imploring? What's the invitation? Be reconciled to God. So, so what is that word, reconciliation? What does that mean? Well, it starts like this. God has made us in his image for his glory. You're designed to be satisfied in him, represent him on earth. In our sin, we turned away from him. We want to be our own gods. We want to be our own authority. We want to make our own way. We want to invent ourselves. We want to be autonomous. So we turned away. The Bible calls that our hostility to God, our enmity towards God. And because God is just and righteous and holy all the time, he then turns his face from us in, the way, in a way in the sense that he has just wrath upon us. And friends, if you think that sounds healthy, or if you think that sounds overbearing, come on, haven't you watched the news sometimes or heard a story and been filled with what you would call righteous anger? Where you heard of something evil, something terrible, and something in you went, oh, that is wrong. And you were, you were, you were mad about it in, a, in like a more clean way. You think of a holy, righteous God who feels that all the time over all the evil that's occurring in us, through us. So there's this brokenness. We rebelled. He's just but God in his grace is offering reconciliation. He's turning towards us in his grace through the cross. And he invites us to come to him and be reconciled to him, to have our hearts changed towards him, to be forgiven by him, to be brought near him through the cross. This is the only way. Do you see it? Verse 21, for our sake, God made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin. When did that happen? On the cross. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's like a trade is made. Jesus takes our sin and gives us his perfection. And it's like a door is opened. We're changed to come to God as our father. And he 
pours out his love for us, his forgiveness to us through the cross can only happen through the cross. So will we hear Jesus on this? Do you hear this? Jesus is saying, you don't know me, you can't know me unless you know me in light of my cross for you in your place. It's essential. Changes everything. So church, we never wanna fall prey, do we, to any idea of a crossless Christ. If you start hearing in my messages, crossless messages, you come up and you, you scuff me up a little bit, all right? I'm giving you permission. Some of you will hold me down. The rest of you will, you know, what's going on, Pastor Matt? We don't want to hear about a crossless Christ. And I'm going to promise you right now, to the best of my ability, I'm never going to tell you about a crossless Christ. We're not interested in that. This is who he is. It's essential. Not only is there no Christ without a cross, there's no Christianity or Christian living without the cross. See this in verse 34. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. The first time this was spoken, like the air would have been electric. You don't talk like this. I'm trying to imagine some way to help us feel like the shock and scandal of it. Hey, can I, uh, I don't know. Hey, can I come to your church? You got to take up your electric chair. You got to take up your noose. That's offensive. What What are you saying? And in context, they would know because when the Roman authorities decide you're going to a cross, you would actually carry your cross beam in public. People would see you condemned, beat to heck, and you in shame are publicly exposed as the one who's been condemned for all to see, and you have to carry that thing. This is not a good time. This is appalling. Did you hear what Jesus said? Number one is grace, if anyone would come after me. So who, who is, um, who's invited to come and belong to Jesus? Anyone. That's fantastic. Doesn't matter what you've done. All the distinctions about yourself, what's happened to you, what you've, uh, eh. you're welcome, come. But here's his term. If anyone would come after me. So if you're gonna be a Christian, what do you have to do? You got to take up your cross. And right away, I'm like, is there a third, you know? Is there a third option? Can I come to Jesus and not take up my cross? Is there like a JV, easier way, Christianity? We're supposed to feel this. Is there a Christianity where I don't take up my cross? And what's Jesus' answer very plainly? No. Many, many great theologians have repeated this line. When Jesus calls a woman or a man to himself, he calls that woman or man to die. You go where he goes. That's how this works. 
Jesus gets the crown, doesn't he? he? He rises from the dead and he ascends to the right hand of the Father. He's totally fine right now. He's got the crown. But what was the pathway to the crown? This is the only way to defeat the sin problem. The pathway to the crown was the cross. We're gonna follow him where he goes. If we belong to him, are we gonna get the crown? Yes, we are. We're gonna be his presence together. New heavens, new earth, all the blessings of having the Lord belonging to us and us to him, we get the crown. But just like, just like him, you don't get the crown without the cross. Neither do we. Take up your cross. What does that mean? Well, friends, just let me, it's not literal, okay? You hear of a guy who walks across America like dragging a cross on wheels. Well, okay, um, that's not what it means. It's not what it means. What does it mean? Jesus tells you. Let him deny himself and follow me. Deny himself. What does that mean? It's a matter of ultimate devotion. What are you devoted to? See, the, the problem with sin, it's, it's in this word, the flesh, you see in the New Testament. The, the problem with our sin is you're devoted to self. You're bent inward on self. You follow self. You're your own authority. Uh, you invent yourself. You're authentic to yourself. You are about you. And so if you're gonna come to Jesus, you are no longer about you. What are you about? You're about him. No matter the cost. That's an important phrase. Because a lot of people are willing to say, oh, I'll be, I'll be about him until it gets hard, until it gets challenging. No, no, no. Jesus is calling you to, be, to, to belong to him and be about him no matter the cost. You must deny yourself, take up your cross. Here's a couple examples. You know, when Jesus is arrested, it's a popular story, right? What does Peter do? Three times. He denies him. Hmm. It's almost like a, a backwards image. He denies him. So he's, he's following Jesus to see what happens. Jesus is arrested, beaten. He's gonna be sentenced to death. Peter follows to a point, but then three times, hey, aren't you, don't you belong to Jesus? And what does Peter say? No. Even once it's like a teenage girl. No, we saw you with him, didn't we? No, no, I don't belong to him. Third one, he actually curses. I don't know him. He denies Jesus three times. But we got to ask, why? Why? Because if he didn't deny Jesus in that context, he was in great danger. That's why. He was in danger. It, it could have cost him to belong to Jesus and obey Jesus. And he didn't want to pay that cost. And so he denied Jesus for whom? himself. And that's the issue, isn't it? That's the issue. We want to follow Christ and then we find a cost. Some group of people doesn't like it. Some text we read on how to live as a Christian, we say, I don't want to do that. I don't, no, not in this cultural moment. I can't abide that. And so we say, mm, I'm not willing to pay the cost. And what are you doing? You're denying who Jesus is to you for the sake of self. 
Of course, Peter will be forgiven and restored. Praise God, because I need that too. We've all denied Christ in some way, haven't we? Peter will be restored. And after the cross and resurrection, church history tells us, Peter actually does get literally crucified for belonging to Jesus. And you know, it's not, you know I'm sure it was awful. He was willing to do it. Because in light of the cross, of what Jesus had done for him, he was willing to deny himself and be devoted to Jesus no matter the cost. Here's another example. I want to bring it home. To be honest with you, I kind of want to make this as painful as possible, okay? Look at Luke 14, 26. This is the same moment, basically the same message as recorded by Luke. These are Jesus' words. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Go ahead and take a shot of that medicine real quick. Did you hear it? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Don't even come. What? But listen, I promise, it's not that Jesus doesn't want you to love these people. I promise, okay? We know that from the rest of Scripture. We know that from many other things Jesus says. He's speaking hard language on purpose because what he's calling us to is so counterintuitive to us. We have to kind of be shocked by it. We need the bucket of cold water. This is what Jesus is saying, by the way. The only way you're truly going to love these people is if you love them for his sake and not yours. Come on, friends, do you know what selfish love is like? This is why people end relationships. I'll love you in this way, and here's the big if. If, what? Come on, you guys know, this comes automatic to all of us. If you love me that way, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. That's interesting. You really love that person, huh? Sounds to me like you love who? Yourself. I'm not judging you. I'm guilty. <laughs> I've, I've done all of this. But imagine how, just ponder how much of your love for other people is self-love. Oh, I wrote, I wrote that guy off. He, he whatever. Oh, Okay. Oh, I'm, I'm done with that person, they whatever. Who do you love? My love for my sake is a selfish, corrupting love, isn't it? Jesus is calling you to love him so much that all other loves look like disregard in comparison. Who do you love, Jesus or your dad? Jesus or your mom, Jesus or your wife, Jesus or your kids. Well, it's not quite like that, but who do you love first? That's what he's saying. If you're gonna come to me, who do you love first? Jesus, Jesus, and he's worthy of it because of who he is. He's the eternal son of God. He's the Christ. If anybody else on earth says, you need to love me the most, run for the hills because they can't be what you need them to be. They can't be the ultimate love. They're not enough to be God to you. Only Jesus is. Because I can tell you from my own experience, 
One reason I love the love of my wife to me is because I know she loves Jesus more than me, and that enables her to love me infinitely better than she ever could have if she loved me the most. Please don't love me the most. Please. And all of you are like, don't worry, we don't. (laughs) But if you were even tempted to put me or anybody else on that pedestal, listen, I will let you down. I will let you down. Your wife will let you down. Parenting will let you down. They cannot be the Christ to you. And so when you come and you love him first and you have all that you need from him, now more and more you can grow in selfless love for others. You have a new power to love them even when they are not loving to you. And isn't that the picture of the cross? That is the cross in action. Jesus loved me when I hated him and he died for me when I did not love him. That's what he did for me. And now as I see that, I have new power. I don't do this perfectly, but I have new power to grow in actually loving the unlovable. And Jesus is saying, if you won't come to me, And let me reorder your loves like that. You can't be my disciple. All that is part of what it means to deny yourself. You're not the sun in your solar system anymore. He is. So there's no Christian life without the cross. You might be thinking, I thought all we had to do was believe. Did anybody think that? I thought all I had to do was believe. Well, you know what? It's totally true. All you have to do is believe. True belief. And you know what true belief will do? It will take us cross. Because you really believe he's that good. And his word is that true. And belong to him is that wonderful. True belief is shown by true devotion. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 15. Jesus died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but what? But for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. That's a picture of the Christian life. So what have we seen? There's no Christ without the cross. There's no Christian life or Christianity or following Jesus without the cross. Number three, you can't even know or have your true self without the cross. Mark 8, 35, 36, whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world, forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? You see Jesus' motive here, don't you? Is is he just, is it like, oh, suffering for its own sake? Is that what he's talking about? Let's just suffer for its own sake. It's not what he's after at all. Listen again, whoever would save his life will lose it. What's the end goal? Save your life. Live. Live. But there's this paradox, right? It sounds ironic or something. Jesus says, take up your cross, which kills, so that you can live. You have to die to live. If you won't die because you want to live, you'll actually die. But if you'll die 
to yourself for him, you'll live. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Would you like to gain the whole world? Go ahead and tease yourself with that a little bit. The whole world. You could have it all. You could have it all. Forever young, cover of magazines. What do you want? You don't want that? Yeah. Ranches, property, lots of money, a little bit of praise, best-selling book. What do you want? What do you want in this world? What do you want to live? You want to be rich. Yeah, you want to... You, you rent, okay. You want pleasure, right? I, I want, I live for this world. What if you gained the whole world, but you lost your soul? And the Greek word here, I'll mention it because it'll sound familiar, it's psyche. It's, it's your very core self, your sense of self, you. And Jesus asked this question, what can a man give in return for his soul? I mean, the one thing you'd never want to lose is you. But it, there's this ironic truth. You can't have you without a cross. Why? Let's try to unpack this. You want to find your identity, your happiness, your success, in your success, your achievement, power, money, pleasure, status, praise of others, this world. If you do that, Jesus says, you will lose your very self. How can this be? I think we have to remember what the Bible says about what it means to be a human. There's a godless version in our cultural moment on what it means to be human. And I don't mean that just as like an insult, oh, it's godless. No, I mean they actually have a view of humanity without a God. And you invent yourself. You follow your preferences. You're self-made. You're autonomous. But that's not actually real. It ignores, number one, how much other people deeply influence you. And most of all, it ignores the bedrock reality that God made you in his image. You can't understand yourself apart from God. You just can't. And so if that's true, then you were designed to find your true self in relationship to him. That's why so many of you will say, before you met Jesus, your life was meaningless. I don't even know who I am or why I'm here. I live for the world. I eat good food. I, I had some success. I had some failure. Who cares anymore? Why am I here? What is this about? Because you're missing this design of who you are, that you're supposed to be satisfied in God. But see, that's, that takes us back to our sin and our rebellion. We're bent on self. We ignore God. We resist God. We're prideful or we're insecure. We're unable to purely love or receive love. We're losing ourselves. We get more and more corrupted. And in the end, apart from Jesus, we endure the just wrath of God forever in hell. Losing yourself. But through the cross, through the cross, can happen. You see what you deserve on the cross, but you also see how loved you are on the cross. And you're able to confess, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I'm poor. I'm needy. Save me. And God saves you through the cross. And now it's this torrent of unconditional love from your Father in heaven for you, who has declared you righteous, forgiven you of all your sins, and there's this new identity. You find who you are. You're a child of God. You're united to Jesus. 
And you're set free to know God, to love him, to love your neighbor, to live according to his design. And you have your true self in Christ forever. And can you see how Jesus just emphasizes this? What can a man give in return for his soul? A lot of times we don't think about this. You don't want to lose yourself. If you listen to Jesus, the one who died, the one who rose, the one who reigns, the one who returns, you can have your true self through faith in him and what he did for you on the cross. It's incredible. C.S. Lewis said it like this. I appreciate this quote. See what you think. He's talking about this issue of taking up your cross, of finding yourself as you deny yourself. He says, keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. Look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. You'll gain your soul. There's no Christ without a cross. There's no Christianity without the cross. There's no having yourself without the cross. There's no eternal hope without the cross. We'll finish with this. Look at verse 38. Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. This is just heavy business, isn't it? It's heavy business. Jesus is promising you he's going to come back. And when he comes back, it won't be as the humble suffering servant. It'll be the triumphing, powerful king, overwhelming overwhelming. Just imagine that's true for a moment. Imagine that's true. Everyday life is going on and then boom, like lightning, like thunder. Somehow he's here and somehow he's looking you in the eye. Somehow he has come, he's returned and you stand before him. Imagine that. What do you want to occur? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the son of man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father. We've seen in this passage, right? Ashamed goes with denying. If you're ashamed of Jesus or his words due to the cost, you, you deny him for self. We're ashamed of him for self. I'd rather have self than him. And Jesus says it so blatantly, so clearly. If you're ashamed of me and my words, when I come back, my attitude towards him and his cross and his word now is somehow echoed in his attitude towards me when he comes back then. Do you want Jesus to be ashamed of you? I don't know this person. They don't know me. It's, it's the worst nightmare. On the other hand, on the other hand, the opposite of being ashamed is to boast. It's a biblical word, to boast. It's like to put your identity on this one beautiful thing that you love, that you boast in it, you hold it up, you praise it, you think about it. It's treasure to you. It's your foundation. We boast in the cross. If he's your boast, 
And you love him and his word no matter what it costs. And you want to deny yourself, not perfectly, but genuinely. And you trust him and you love him and his cross and his resurrection for you. On the other hand, he won't be ashamed of you. He will celebrate you. He will welcome you. Other places in the gospels, you'll hear something like this. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. J.R. Tolkien said, the highest of joys is the praise of the praiseworthy. You know what that means? Is when you really respect somebody, there's like a mentor to you, a teacher to you, and when that person praises you and says, oh, you're doing a great job, there's something in you that goes, have you, have you experienced that? Imagine Jesus proud of you, celebrating you. He wants to do that. He's offering that to you. And the key to it is to come in humble repentance, not earning anything, not doing it yourself, but looking to him and trusting in him and his cross for you. And then in light of that, taking up your cross for him. And you know what he will say to you? Well done. And you will be so happy forever. The cross is a scandal. The cross is difficult. The cross is not ultimately about sorrow and suffering. It's about joy. Because when you follow Jesus in his cross, guess what inevitably will happen? You will rise from the dead. He's undefeated, and everyone who belongs to him will be undefeated as well. Look at what Paul says in Galatians 6.14. He had everything. He was a religious superstar. He had power. He had respect. Everything changed when he met Jesus. He said, far be it from me to boast, except in what? In the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Let's have our boast be there, church. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, what can we say? You died for us. We didn't deserve it. Why would you love us like this? You invite us to belong to you, to know you, to enjoy you, to have you as ours, to be yours. Who are we that we could have you? Who are we that we'd be so loved? So let us hear your words, Lord. And let your spirit open our minds, our eyes, our hearts to say, Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. Him and his cross, his resurrection, it's worth it. And then be willing to deny ourselves and live for the one who gave himself up for us. Lord, I pray for anyone who is not a Christian today and who is maybe even staggering by the, the weight of these words. I pray that you'd show them your kindness, your goodness your love, your gentleness, that you're, you're good for the weight of their lives on your shoulders. And I pray for those of us who do belong to you, Lord, that we would be more greatly inspired to turn away from the authority of self and be willing to die daily in the small ways and even in the big way, to die for you because you're worth it, knowing that dying with you, we rise. Help us boast in the cross, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.